All right, everybody. Welcome to Single-Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. I'm a podcaster and uh, writer, guy, thing, journalist. Uh, check out my newsletter, jessesingle.substack.com. Check out my podcast, blockedreporter.org. Got a lot going on, including this show. Uh, ooh, the buttons are different, says uh, Neil in the chat. I am not noticing any buttons differences, but um, I have no doubt you're telling the truth, Neil. Uh, okay, I'm mostly going to take your calls. I just wanted to talk about a thing on Twitter for once. Let me pull it up because I just thought it was interesting. This is a thread I'll read from Jessica Mason Pieklo, Pieklo, P-I-E-K-L-O. She uh, works for Rewired News, which is a reproductive rights-oriented progressive outlet. Honestly, if you're a white person who says they're committed to racial justice and you're in good standing with most of your family, I have questions, with emphasis, for you, and they are definitely pointed. Full disclosure, I'm in contact with exactly three members of my birth and extended families for this specific reason. That first question is, how committed are you, really? Even the good white families are a skosh racist when you scratch the surface. She goes on in this vein, um... This is like a subgenre of of progressive spiel. Uh, it has been, I, I think, it like peaked during Trump, but you see it a lot. It's not uncommon for people to publicly announce that it's important for white people to uh, abandon their problematic family members, their racist family members. These are often presented the way Jessica did as big, bold proclamations. Um, one thing that jumps out at me is like the class element. I'm a little bit of a class reductionist, bro, but there's really only one group of people who can safely afford to simply walk out on family members they disagree with politically, and that is wealthy people or like relatively well-off people. Most people do not have the luxury, even if, even if they're like a shitty enough person that they would just abandon their family members over political uh, disagreements. Most people rely on family and can't just turn their back on family. So I'm a big fan of the theory that like privileged people – who have the most time to spend on Twitter and on social media exert this weird gravitational pull, uh, pulling everything toward their preferences and, and their values. And I think this is an example of that. Uh, this same day, there was a new article in The Verge with some valuable reporting on what went on at Netflix with the employees there who are unhappy about uh, Dave Chappelle and Ricky Gervais. And it's sort of the same thing. These are not, you know, bedraggled iron workers. These are, are coal miners. They're, tech workers making six figures and they have very specific radical politics that most people disagree with. And they try to get Netflix to censor Dave Chappelle or, or Ricky Gervais and Netflix said, Oh, it's treated as surprising or noteworthy that the folks at Netflix who decide which uh, shows to put on Netflix said no to these tech workers uh, who were trying to exert editorial influence. But again, I just think, I don't think it's helpful for people to like think that that's that's what we mean when we talk about like labor issues. Whether whether tech workers making two hundred thousand dollars a year get to decide what Netflix's content is, I just I found it very weird. But again, it's like a lot of the stuff comes down to class. It, this really isn't like liberal versus conservative or um, you know social justice warriors versus everyone else. Wealthy college educated people like me, tend to have different values than working-class people, and, and we should talk about that more. All right, Oscar, what is up? Hello, can you hear me? I can, yeah. Oh, man, I've wanted to ask you so many questions for so long, but I never get a chance to dialogue to any of this live, so this is great. Well, welcome. Um, 
Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, so I have, a, I have like a bunch of questions, but I'll just riff off the Netflix thing. I actually know someone pretty senior at Netflix who um, was sort of like involved in a situation where they um, were completely unfairly sort of, I don't know, terrorized isn't the right word, just that life was made less convenient by a sort of activist type individual. Interesting. Um, and, you know, he's a data scientist and was doing some stuff that could not possibly cons- be construed as being biased against, you know, a certain kind of person that you've written a lot about. Um, and and so this is pretty relatable. And actually something we discussed in recently is he said suddenly all these people have shut up. Now their jobs are actually under threat. So, you know, two minutes ago, this was a moral emergency. But of course, once the prospect of not making like very high salaries was on the table, they were suddenly less committed to these values, which I think should tell you all need to know. And that sort of like segues to my question, which is to what degree do you think a lot of this stuff is just like a vector for people with really unpleasant personalities to like emotionally terrorize people? Because <laughs> it just seems like so much of this stuff is just like weaponized by someone who's just a complete shithead. Like, I mean, the thing the thing you talked about um the lady in Florida who did that stuff with the data, like, you know, and these sort of like Kafkaesque administrative nightmares just seem to basically be like vectors for really unpleasant people to make everyone else around them. Less yeah. The, uh, our, our, mo- our most recent premium episode, we talked about the, this incredible meltdown of a Instagram account called no white saviors. And I was joke. I actually joked with Katie, like Wow, that's awesome. It turns out all this behavior that 10 years ago would have been considered bullying or sociopathic, now it's good because you're doing it for a good cause. I, I think I think that's part of it. I think in some cases, this attracts people who just like want to be abusive or have their own shit going on. I think in other, in other cases, it's more a mix. You know, you can have people who have genuine goodness in their hearts, but just... Uh, acquire such a level of zealotry about it that they become bad people. So, but look, progressive spaces are flooded with like genuine grifters who, who do this stuff and and it's a problem and it's caused a lot of meltdowns in a lot of institutions. Um, What, what you said about your friend, and I'm sorry I went through that was it reminded me of the fact that a lot of this coverage of like the internal wranglings at Netflix, it, it doesn't seem like these journalists are making any attempt to, contact the i would guess 80 to 90 percent of netflix that does not want to be involved in this stuff uh yes. because like yes. you'll... Uh, I, yeah i just want to say like he's he's totally fine like you know you know this guy makes nearly a million dollars a year living in los angeles like no one should feel sorry for him but like yeah it still sucks <laughs> yeah yeah no look and um i i just my sense is especially given how small like the protest was at a time this outdoor protest when netflix was sanctioning it and saying if you want to protest protest i i think this is like a loud fringe in Netflix's case. And, and I, I don't think it gives like an accurate assessment of what like Netflix employees want to just endlessly quote them without providing any context of their numbers. But um, yeah, no, that's a good question. I, I think, I think we need to acknowledge that uh, in some of these cases, there's some degree of bullying on the off chance. Your, uh, your friend would tell him more, of course, feel free to pass on my email. Obviously I'd keep him anonymous, but I know that's a long shot. Uh, you know what? I'll actually ask him. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate Thank it. You, Thank you, Oscar. Yeah. Appreciate it. Uh, Neil, what's up? Hey, hey. Jesse. Uh, okay, so I wanted to ask about... So you mentioned you were playing uh, Patrick's Parabox, and I'm also playing it now because it was on sale, on the Steam sale, so I'm playing it, and it just keeps going, and I was wondering if you were still 
uh, playing it, first of all, because I want to beat you. If you You're if probably you, already beating me. I also, think it's been like more than a month <laughs> since I last touched it just because other stuff has come up. Okay, okay. And then also I wanted to ask you, when you play video games, are you like a completionist? Do you like have to get every single achievement 100%? Because that's what I do for the games that I enjoy. Or I'm not. I actually tend to abandon games like long before I've beaten them. Uh, there's mm. a... No, I am far from a completionist. I, I think I appreciate games like, you know, The Witness is like a recent classic puzzle game where you can really just, there's, you know, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 hours of content and you can really just jump back in and keep chipping away at it. Patrick's Parabox is the same way. I think as you get older, you appreciate games that are like, in a sense, efficient with your time. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and don't demand, but yeah, I've never been that kind of completionist. I, I used beating games used to be important to me, but it was never important to me to like hundred percent them. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. That was my only question. Thank you. Neil. Thank you for listening. Pope, hopefully the Pope. Hey Jesse. Yeah, it's me. The Pope. How are you keeping? Hello. How's it going? Your holiness. Sorry uh, about all, sorry about all the sinning I've been doing. Oh, you're forgiven. Don't <laughs> worry you. about it. Thank you, Father. You Mary's yeah. fine. Um, I just wanted to ask you if you were following the stuff that's going on in uh, the UK, like the kind of political meltdown that's been going on there, and uh, if you had any thoughts on it. I don't. Katie is taking is going to do a little bit on that just to like explain the basics to people in our next episode. All I know is that, uh, you know, I think Americans and Brits, we sort of trade off. Like whenever things seem particularly bad in one of our decaying empires, we can point to the other one and be like, ha, ah, well, they're they're doing it even worse. So I appreciate that, uh, you know, British people offer us that. But beyond that, I don't know anything about it. But our next podcast, we'll be talking about a little. Katie will explain certain aspects of it to me. Cool. Well, I'll, I'll let Katie handle that. So what I was just going to say um, that what's going on at the moment in the UK and what's been happening with Trump as well has got me thinking a little bit about um, the psychology of shame and like the importance of being able to be shamed to some degree because Trump and Boris are both similar in a certain capacity and it's like that they have a superpower where they're impervious to being shamed. Completely, yeah. And it's like, it's it's a really interesting uh, psychology to observe and like someone like Bolsonaro now in Brazil would be a similar type of charismatic figure who just can't be shamed and you and they can't be cancelled as well and it's also like people who are very susceptible of shit to shame can be easily cancelled and are easily like um intimidated by the mob and so there's probably like some sort of spectrum and sweet spot of where like you have the capacity to be shamed and you're not a sociopath but you're not so easily shamed that you're very susceptible to groupthink or uh, being cancelled, etc. And I'm just wondering, have you ever come across anything like that in, like, uh, you know, looking into your psychology research? Or no, I mean, it's an interesting theory. I mean, there's also the thing of like one man's shame is another man's triumph. So when Donald Trump says we're going to ban all the Muslims, um, to many of us, that's obviously a very a shameful, horrible thing to say, but he has a core group of supporters who are like, yeah, when Duterte in the Philippines says we're going to hunt down and kill the drug dealers, you know, to Americans, that's horrific, but he had a strong base of support there too. So I think it's not just whether you're immune to sh- I mean, obviously Trump is immune to shame. I think that's safe to say, but it's worth noting that any individual shameful act he does – 35 to 40% of the story continues to support him. So maybe that shields him from the shame in some sense. Yeah, I think you're, you're probably right to that degree. Like, well, I suppose it's his ability as well to shift like the, the parameters and that because he's such a cult like personality that like 
Um, I think to a different degree, let's say to Boris Johnson, I don't think he has like cult like personality that Trump does. So I think like, you know, Trump is able to convince 70% of Republicans now that the election was stolen. Like that should should have been impossible. Like that's yeah, you know, just thrown out of all like that that's amazing, like that he's been able to do that. And like that's a, such a shameless act that he he's, he's even failed to concede thus far and despite all the evidence continues to say he won that election like that really like beggars belief but he's been able to do it and convince 70 percent of republicans apparently and maintain the front runner so it's like a superpower but it's pretty incredible to observe like yeah i think that's right about the cult thing i think the other difference is well the other similarity is like they both have elements of they're both con men in a sense and they both can pretend to be sort of like man of the people like isn't one of boris johnson's whole things like pretending to be dumber than he is almost like pretending to be this bumbling fool a hundred percent yeah but like boris johnson isn't so much of a con man in that like he's got a really interesting phenomenon where he's just an accepted liar everyone knows he is and they just accept that about <laughs> but it's okay yeah yeah he's, he's not even trying to con you he's in and like he knows you know he's a liar as well but he's kind of charming. right is it still a lie if everybody knows it's a lie exactly yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. i also just think he's like not he's not psychologically broken the way trump is i think trump reflects a true like 0.1 percent percentile on the wrong side of the bell curve of like genuine psychopathologies and i know it's like both way too popular and way too fraught to psychoanalyze from afar. But the guy's been in the public eye for a long time now. Something is clearly wrong with him, which is not something I say about like other politicians I disagree with, like George W. Bush or Boris Johnson. There's just there's a real void and brokenness there. I, I don't think you see with uh, Boris, right? I don't know if you remember um, that like around the early stages when Trump was coming president, people started like armchair psychologizing and diagnosing him with uh, narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah. Pretty obvious. Yeah. So then journalists went to the guy who created the criteria for it. And he said, uh, well, like, it's not really proper to comment anyway, but he said, like, by definition, you actually couldn't say Trump uh, has narcissistic personality disorder because it has to have, like, a pervasive negative effect on your life. And he's just been, <laughs> it's rewarded uh, for it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, ha- ha- it, it doesn't make sense, he said, like, uh, in this particular case. Well, now we're looking at him, like, if he's going to, you know, get arrested and all this kind of, well, like, who knows what's going to happen, but, like, if charges are brought against him, and maybe you could say now he has it because it's caused disorder. But previously he wouldn't say it because it hadn't caused disorder in his life. Yeah. I think I think that's where it goes too far. It's like trying to I don't think any mental health professional should publicly say Donald Trump has like this entry from the DSM. I'm I'm comfortable just saying like there's very obviously something wrong from him wrong with him in the sense that his that sets him apart from most people psychologically. I think that's just undeniably true. Yeah, like I think he has no morality really. What's good for him is, is is good, and what's bad for him is bad, and that's pretty much it. Like, yep, exactly. Uh, well, thank I you. I'm like looking forward to learning more about uh, the Boris Johnson stuff from Katie. Good stuff. See you. Bye. Nixon. Don't get a lot of uh, dead former presidents on here. Nixon. Speak up, my friend. I'm going to skip you, but uh, jump back in the line. I'll bump you to the front. A-A-B-B-B. How's it going? Hello. Uh, quick gaming corner. Sorry, I don't want to take too much time, but you were mentioning The Witness. Have you played the whole I've game? I've not played the whole game. I think my brother, who's better at puzzle games than I am, have has beat it. I've just When I've played it, I've been very impressed with it. I want to jump back in at some point. You should uh, have you heard of The Looker? No. The Looker was a re- recently released, like only a couple of weeks ago, 
uh, a parody of The Witness. It's free, and it's hilarious. It's the funniest. It's most I've laughed in a long time. Recommend very highly. That's uh, ballsy to put that much time into. Uh, I know The Witness is a big deal among gamers, but it is an indie puzzle game. You're going to spoof an indie puzzle game? I like that. Well, yeah. It's also incredibly pretentious, so it kind of is good fodder. Uh, yeah, it's inc- if, you, if you read the reviews on Steam, it's like incredibly positive. Yeah. One review says something like, if you love The Witness, you'll love this. If you hate <laughs> The Witness, you'll love this. <laughs> I think it's, it's just great. It's only like an hour long. You can Gotcha. It's, it's actually, the guy put a lot of work into it. It's like probably the hardest work for a shit post I've ever seen. I like recommend that. very highly. Check High quality shit posting is an important skill. I, whenever I, as I get older, there's like this uh principle of relativity with time in video games i would have assumed i played the witness a lot i only played it for uh 20 minute uh 20 hours steam tells me so that's not nothing i guess it, what is it <laughs> yeah, yeah. um all right i will check but out the, the looker the looker everyone in chat also the looker is fantastic all right anyway thank you for the suggestion neil i'm gonna skip you just to get the folks who haven't t- oh wait nixon first i'm gonna bump nixon to the front Nixon, did you figure out your mic? Yeah, sorry. I was trying to get someplace quiet. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, I can hear you. How's it going? All right. Um, great, thanks. So uh, relatively late in the lineup, I did want to clue you into a couple of uh, stories or interesting things of late, but wanted to comment on one thing in particular. There was uh, the shame and sort of the intersection of politics and shame. Uh, One thing that I seem to have noticed or think that is an interesting observation, uh, shame really only works in public. You know, it doesn't really work that well in private. So um, I'm thinking of, you know, like Nate Silver and Hillary Clinton, that election. You've got people who are polling and answering, you know, to to strangers about their opinions, but, you know, they have... uh, to vote in private, so yeah, they may not really be reflecting their their true intentions. Social desirability bias. Sure, exactly, exactly, yeah, precisely. Uh, the other two things, real quick. Um, <laughs> so Aaron Paul has listed his house in Idaho for sale, and it's around one point three million. Ooh. And it's an interesting thing to go into the Zillow page for it because last year the tax assessor had it around six hundred k. And so there's a huge explosion in housing prices as of late. And uh, I think it was a University of Michigan study uh, asking, you know, is, is now a good time to buy a house? This is at an all-time low, or not an all-time low necessarily, but at record lows. And so uh, it'll be interesting to follow that along and see what it ends up selling for and, and if it does meet asking price or not. Wait, sorry, what record lows? I thought I thought there was like talk of a bubble right now because housing prices were so high. The, the lows was the sentiment. Oh, oh god. Gotcha. Yeah, of of if now is a good time to buy a house. Okay. Um, Opinion. Lynn on Alden, L Y N A L D E N. She's a great follow on Twitter. She had something uh, recently, maybe today, that was retweeted uh, about that. Gotcha. Thank you. One last thing is: Do you happen to know the Miss Marvel show on Disney Plus? Uh, no. I mean, I'm, I'm aware of it, but I haven't watched okay, it at all. Okay, so this is something that's sort of on a quiet corner of the internet and not necessarily in English all the time, but they've really managed to bungle the history of the partition and 
the uh, Pakistan India situation. So um, it'll be interesting to see if any more noise gets made by the Pakistani community because they have just spectacularly fucked it up in a way that it, it kind of uses the the English as um, a scapegoat and just the main bad guy. Uh, almost, you know, like ninjas or zombies, they could just be killed on screen without any thought about them being human beings. And it, it totally simplifies, oversimplifies to the point of erasing the history of the situation. Interesting. I will, uh, I will look into that. Yeah. Anyway. Thank you, Nick. That would be it. Appreciate it. Uh, Neil, I'm going to skip you just to get the folks you haven't talked to yet. Sean and then Alex. Hello, am I audible? You are, you're alive. Right. Okay, so I'm probably going to formulate this quite badly, but I was going to ask a question about the term PMC. Yes, professional so managerial class. Yes. So it seems to be used, and I'll ask you this, does it seem to be used, in your opinion, mostly in a negative sense? Yeah, I'd say it's mostly used in a negative sense by folks who are themselves, in many cases, PMC. Yeah. Almost like the way white people talk shit about white people. Yes. And so a lot of the ways I see it used, it often um, is almost used to degrade this class and extol the merits or the virtues of perhaps like the working class or some other kind of uh, low education but high income class. And I wonder whether that's a kind of dangerous phenomena, right? It's there might be some virtues to the PMC which these other classes don't have, and by kind of the kind of constant degradation you see of them in the media, is there a bit of a worry there? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's I mean, still I think a fairly niche, niche. Um, like, I don't think the average person has heard of PMC. I think the class stuff going on is like really interesting and complicated because if you're an American leftist. It just is the fact that your leftier beliefs are much more popular among wealthier college educated. This isn't a new phenomenon. You know, I think yeah. there are socialist pockets throughout history where it's like kids on college campuses with interesting facial hair. Uh, but it's just, it's just, I don't know. It's hard to sum up, but it's become this really interesting dynamic in the States because we talk so much about race and so little about class um, that – it's just weird because you're, you're claiming to speak for these groups, but then if you ask those groups what they want, what they want usually isn't like socialism. It's usually like moderate reforms to capitalism or like the same number of police or more police, not not abolishing the police. So, right. Yeah. I just wonder – so a lot of times I see it used. It's not – the same people wouldn't maybe talk about – and the other classes that are just as harmful in the same way, they might not talk about – a kind of uneducated or low education, but high income. Group. Right. Like right. you kind of um, small business owners in the same way. Or maybe they would, but. Well, I think it's, it's yeah. more like, I, I think they're more saying, um, so I'm getting, I'm going to, you want to just mute your mic for a second. Yeah. Um, I think usually when people reference the PMC, they're basically talking about like the sort of liberal white woman who's really into like certain kinds of diversity trainings and who talks about race in a certain way and identity in a certain way and is a big fan of um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I think it's like shorthand for a set of political beliefs. I don't think they're just referring to a set of folks in the class hierarchy. I think it's more like there's this this. I'm speaking from the point of view of like a leftist who doesn't like the identity stuff. It's like there's all this identity stuff going on. 
who is fueling that identity stuff and uh, disseminating it, who's buying Robin D'Angelo's books, who's bringing her in to talk to firms, that's the PMC. But not everyone who's in, – in reality, not every one of the professional managerial class actually holds those beliefs, but I think they're disproportionately found there, if that makes sense. Still with me, Sean? Sorry, yeah, sorry. I was just figuring out how to unmute it. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess it's a kind of term for what, like a political perspective that's broadly found in this particular. Yeah, like a Hillary supporting Black Lives Matter. I mean, and again, these are all fine causes, but it's just, it is a type of person. Right. There's a kind of general group. And, And is that statistically backed up? Are these kind of, you know, are lawyers more likely to vote for? Hillary Clinton. Then. I well, I think it's Is less that, when I think it's less whether they'd vote for Hillary Clinton and more because like the people who vote for in the in the states, it's the the liberal coalition is really broad and it ranges right. from like genuinely working class non college voters, although the Dems are losing those to wealthy lawyers. I think it's more what their reading habits are, what their understanding of race is, if they'll make like hesitant but exciting gestures toward abolishing the police or defunding the police, stuff like that. And in those cases, it's the wealthier folks who by far are more into the identity talk and the Robin D'Angelo and the Ibram X. Kendi, I, I believe. I think class right. is the biggest predictor there. Yeah, so it's kind of weird hearing this because obviously in the UK, class is the kind of, in politics, class is primarily what's talked about, not race as much. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of weird. A lot of these have like PMC and whatnot. They seem almost like a bit... Yeah, they seem kind of strange because it's almost making this division between oh, one wealthy group and another and trying to say, well, this non-PMC group, they're quite good. And this other, right. this other group who are liberal, we don't like them. because No, liberal. I could see how that yeah. comes across. As, and again, if people disagree, they can, they can let me know or in chat. But I really, when I hear people say PMC, I think it's shorthand for people, people in that general income and prestige bracket who hold certain beliefs they don't like. Right. Okay. But not, yeah. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sean. Uh, Alex, what is up? Yes, hello again, Jesse. Um, I just wanted to just oh, man, we're having that mic issue again. Can you just uh, speak up a little bit? Can you hear me now? Um, I, will, I will normalize it after. I can hear you enough to answer. I'll just yeah, I'll restate you your now? question. Yeah, it's a little better. Okay, um, I just had a question. Um, I listened to your podcast, the one where the, um, the Philadelphia um, started. Mina's World. Yes, Mina's World was started up. It reminded me of the um, Intercept article. Um, is this like um, a thing that um, progressive spaces such as like Mina's World or anything that progr- per, uh, perceives wokeness will have to like um, deal with where you have um, people who, even if, the, even if people in the um, managerial positions are of so-called minority classes, like Mina's World had a trans, I think one was a trans woman and she looked like trans a, i think it was a trans white trans woman white. and then an indian uh or daughter of a korean woman i seen a picture yeah i think they might have been partially asian or something like that but anyways they were of minority classes but still that wasn't enough for them to like destroy the for their business to be to destroy itself pretty much because of um it was i guess some people undermine the the wokeness of it. Is that going to be like a common thing in the future, you think? Yeah, I mean, I thought Ryan Grimm's article, these are very different situations. The Mina's World meltdown, which I guess Katie has an update about uh, when we record tomorrow. 
you know, that's a coffee shop. Ryan Grimm's very useful article in The Intercept. Everyone should read it. That's more about, like, the progressive NGO world, mostly in D.C. But I think in both situations, you basically have these meltdowns because people have figured out how to weaponize claims about identity. uh, And the people who are the bosses are scared of them and won't say no to them, even if the claims get increasingly ridiculous. So it doesn't – I don't think it matters if the – like, in – DC nonprofit world, I think we probably disproportionately still have like white folks in managerial roles, although that's changing quickly. But yeah, I mean, as you're saying, it doesn't matter if they're white. Like they could be a member of a quote unquote marginalized group too, but they'll, if anything, I think they'll get like sort of hit harder. I, at least I know with like trans stuff, it seems like trans people themselves who have views that differ from like the Twitter orthodoxy get like pilloried harder than anybody. So I think that's like an unfortunate um, issue. If you are a member of one of these groups and you don't agree with the Twitter consensus or or the with the revolutionaries ruining your organization, yeah, I just find that I guess kind of odd. Where I mean, you know, they emphasize identity, but it seems like identity only does you so much. It's more about I don't know belief. I guess I guess that's where the comparisons with religious values. It's very disingenuous because they they act a lot of the time like identity identity should determine who like wins an argument or who's deferred to. But what then when it's like, I don't know, Coleman Hughes or John McWhorter, they, they, it's no longer like listen to black people. It's, I find it very disingenuous. Yeah. Same here as a person of their background as well. I just, it does feel very disingenuous or even like um, the defund the police thing. It always just makes me wonder like, well, you know, those neighborhoods, they have like, high rates of crime like who's gonna enforce those those crimes or you know lower the violence there like what is your alternative it's it just so frustrating with, for me there's a real disconnect uh yeah i've written a lot about this i don't need to repeat myself but things like defund the police the the group supposedly being protected by defunding or abolishing the police do not want that and the numbers are not close it's usually i just i just unlocked an article i did about this i think in a lot of polling it'll be um and again, this is the average. Like, black people are a huge pot group with varying views, but on average, it's usually something like 25% want to keep police. Uh, no, 25% want fewer cops, 25% want more cops, 50% think there's the right number of cops in their neighborhood. So you have a super majority, 75%, who do not want to reduce the number of cops. And to me, that's like, that means that defunding, the way that defunding has been explained to me, is off the table because defunding usually means fewer cops. Um, but people are tricky about that because like, they'll do that definitional thing where they'll be like, no, when we say defund, we just mean police shouldn't have like M1 tanks. Okay, police, demilitarize the police is fine. That's Actually, reducing the role of police in neighborhood everyday day life is not what most people want, full stop. Yeah, I think they're. I, I think at the level of averages, they're different because they report having more abusive encounters with the police, which I think they do for the same reason that they're in lower income, higher crime neighborhoods, and there's police racism. But um, it just drives me crazy when like white activists so badly oversimplify their views because like it's again, you just need to treat. Racial categories are stupid. You need to understand that, like, blank Americans, where blank is any race, have a lot of different views, and they're likely to be fairly nuanced. They're not likely to line up with the simple mottos of, like, white pseudo-revolutionaries. Yeah, and I guess, I guess it was, I mean, 
added, I guess, so somebody was talking to you earlier about, like, the class thing versus, like, the um, racial thing in the United States. I'm like, you know, you go online on Twitter and stuff like that, and it's very racially focused. But then when I'm in real life, I do see some more, I guess, class-centered issues. Like, even I go to the gym that I go to is, a, I guess, a working-class gym, you could say. as It's diverse. Like, you know, there's white people, Hispanics, yep. blacks there. But I'm like, I can't imagine too many pro- people, progressive-minded people, being at this gym because it just doesn't feel like their atmosphere. It's out, kind of outside, warehouse, a lot of big, kind of dumbish dudes. Yeah, it's not, it's it's not, not, it's like, not crunch like crunch fitness, fitness or whatever. Right, right. I mean, I like it there, even though I'm considered a higher upper middle class black male but i mean that's just i just don't see people of my of in that group there it, it doesn't feel safe <laughs> right yep uh thank you Alex. Those, those are all good points appreciate it neil let's bring neil back and we'll uh, we'll wrap it up with neil so jesse did you see that story i thought of another question from fire about the the college student who retweeted hentai and then got like kicked out of their Jesus, college. no. That sounds like good uh, blossom so, reported yeah, fair. Yeah, so crazy. So when, when, when I saw it, I was, like, really concerned. And then, but then if you click on the article, they, they hide it. It's a private art college, right? So then, it's still obviously terrible and, like, super ridiculous, but it's, like, less, like, so, somewhat less concerning that it wasn't, like, a public school. I don't know. Is that, should, should it still be, like, super bad? I mean, it's I mean I'd have to like read that. this story, but I obviously don't want a kid kicked out of anything for retweeting yeah, yeah. hentai. But yeah, see, the as soon as it's a private rather than a public university, they have far more leeway to do shitty things like that. Yeah. I, I think they're probably still going to win the case because like, if you read their, like their, um, their own like rules, they like totally violated them. They're like, we have a commitment to whatever with freedom of, of expression. And they like totally violated that. So I think they'll probably win. Hopefully they win, but I don't know. I was just like personally worried when I saw that. I was like, Oh God, I'm going <laughs> to, I have a, I have a Twitter account that retweets on time. But, um, but I think I'll be fine. I don't know. Uh, yes, just be careful with the hentai retweeting. Everyone, as we go oh, into yeah, the weekend, yeah. be careful with the <laughs> retweeting of hentai. And if you don't know what hentai is, that's good. You're living a better life than we are. <laughs> Thank you, Neil. Have a good weekend, Jesse. All right. I hope everyone has a uh, good weekend. Thank you for tuning in. Um, yeah, as always, I would just ask you, if you like what I'm doing with this show, spread the word about it. Also, tell people about the other stuff I've got going on. Um, I've been working on something about this controversy in Leon County, Florida, over the policy about trans kids and these rumors online that the administrators there are making Hitlerish, Hitlerish, Hitleresque, I guess Hitlerish, uh, lists of the gay and trans kids for nefarious purposes. Uh, almost none of which is true. So I'm going to do a post uh, clarifying that stuff that I hope will make the conversation a little bit saner. I did a little bit of reporting on it to the best of my ability. Uh, so if you want stuff like that, jessysingle.substack.com. When I do publish that, it'll be free. But yeah, otherwise I will see you guys soon and uh, hope you all have a great Friday and weekend.